Hello everyone, and welcome to week four of Go Forth, a music education talk show. This is Summer. And this is Owen. Today, we have alumni Kelly Raymond, and she's gonna be talking about teaching during COVID and her first year of teaching. Our other segments include extracurricular music, adapting, and our instrumental and choral conducting classes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Go Forth, the music education show based in the Sunderman Conservatory of Music. My name is Logan, and I am honored to welcome Kelly Raymond to the show. Kelly Raymond graduated from Gettysburg College in 2018 and is currently teaching music in Frederick County, Maryland. Welcome, Kelly. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing really well, especially after that presentation you just gave. Excellent. Give a little introduction of you about how you're a music teacher and you graduated from Gettysburg College. I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners how you became such an outstanding music education teacher and how you went on that track in your life. I am going to say that I have came to where I am today from a lot of reflecting, a lot of asking questions, and a lot of failure. <laughs> to be quite honest, I feel like in my time in undergrad, I tried and tried to learn as much as I could. And then in my first years of teaching, I have tried to figure out how that actually works in real life. And that has required me to do a lot of trial and error and a lot of asking for help and a lot of trying to improve upon situations where I may not have made the best choice is still a process that I'm making and doing today. Yeah, touching on that, I think when people graduate uh, with a teaching degree, there's a big range of confidence levels that recent grads have. And I was wondering, how confident were you in your teaching ability? And how did that change in the first couple of years of teaching? That's a great question, because when I graduated from Gettysburg, I felt fairly confident in my teaching ability. And I'm going to elaborate on that saying, I felt fairly confident to write a lesson plan and execute it. Um, and I felt confident to think through how I wanted to teach music concepts and what I wanted to do with what I'm teaching. But when I started teaching, I think a lot of reality shifted for me and for my students that I was teaching. So there were, um, there was a big priority shift for me because now no longer was it most important for me to know, you know, how to teach rhythm and how to teach melody, but it was more important for me to know how to communicate effectively and how to respond to situations in a meaningful way and how to connect with my students so that they would trust me enough to allow them to access the material that we were doing. As constant learners, you mentioned a couple of things that you did learn as a teacher going out into the field. What are some things that new teachers should go out expecting to have challenges with? I think that expecting for your students to challenge you should be something that you're, you're I don't even want to say ready for because I'm not sure you can really be ready for that, but being ready and being willing to be challenged in what you're doing and how you're doing it by your students and by your families and by your community and by your coworkers. 
and everyone that falls into that category that will question you and you will have to prove that you, you know, care, proving that you care and that your intentions are that of love and of, you know, using music as a way to connect and to grow as humans, not just for assessment and basic what you would assume is part of being a teacher. So I feel like expecting that challenge in a personal way, in a social and an emotional way is important and expecting for there to be a process that may take the whole year or the whole two years, expecting that what you're supposed to learn and know and get better at might not be that of a couple of weeks, but really will start to show in the coming years. And that's something that even if you're told it's hard to really wrap your head around that when you're in it because you want it to get better quickly and it doesn't necessarily happen as fast as you hope and want it to. So we've addressed a lot of challenges within the school and how it's probably not going to go by so smoothly in your first couple of years. And I was wondering, how have you addressed balancing your work life and your personal life so you don't get burnt out trying to face those challenges? The million dollar question. So I, I, I don't, I'm going to be quite honest. I haven't found a balance yet because I feel that when I finally felt like I was getting my feet under me as a teacher and what I wanted to do as a teacher, things in my personal life exploded in ways that I wasn't ready for. So then my priorities of my day-to-day shifted greatly because my own well-being was unstable and I was emotionally overwhelmed by the um, demands of my personal life and my school life. So I feel like I have come to points in my three years of teaching where I have felt a little bit more on top of it in terms of balancing what's happening at home and what's happening at school. But I think that has shifted so much over the last two years that I'm not even sure I could say I have a balance, but I try I try to take time for myself during the week and I try to keep work life in perspective that it, I can't fix a lot of those situations and I can't control a lot of things. But if I focus more on what I can control, that then that will help my mindset moving forward be a little bit more realistic. Yeah, and, to, and maybe that was an unfair question because, you know, <laughs> can we balance work and life or is that an ever ongoing process which most likely is speaking of things that we can't control i was wondering if you could talk about how COVID has changed your classroom environment as a music teacher actually i feel like COVID has shifted my focus away from music specifically i feel like and perhaps that's happened more Uh, it was happening already. I just wasn't super aware of it, but me realizing that getting an opportunity to see students for 40 minutes a day or a week on Google Meet, that my hope is just that they want to come back and that they have fun and that they are, you know, engaging with each other in a different way than, than they would be on their classroom Google Meet or Zoom call or whatever it may be. So I feel like my priorities for now that it's not it's not as important that they can you know read write and dictate a rhythm that I feel like they should be able to in second grade as more so important that 
they're just engaging with the material at whatever level they're at and they're feeling excited about it. Really just the getting them up and moving and getting them singing. I'm trying to remember that that's way more important right now. Just, you know, getting to connect with them and getting to experience joy with them because a lot of them aren't feeling that. Trying to harness that and dwell less on content and assessment right now is really what's helping me emotionally and hopefully them get through and and enjoy and get the most out of our time together yeah most definitely and i think that goes to the idea of like teaching to standards and how those standards and expectations kind of fall away when there's a global pandemic students are falling behind falling behind what the expectations that we've set forth 50 years ago that they should be at so that's really great i'm so glad to hear that oh go ahead I was going to say, even the expectations that I had set in the spring when we went into virtual learning shifted greatly. And so, you know, I feel like it's important to acknowledge that, yeah, my priorities have shifted now and they'll just continue to shift as the situation shifts. And that's, you know, we can never really settle into one thing because that's not really realistic or if we want to be responsive to what's going on in the world aside from our classroom. Yeah, responsive and looking at, at your YouTube channel, finding our voice, adaptability. I was wondering if you could talk to our viewers of how you're using like multimedia and YouTube to connect to your students. So I started my YouTube channel in the spring, mostly because our students didn't have to engage with music, art or PE material at all. It was totally optional for the fourth quarter of school. So I was posting stuff on their online school portal and I was getting about maybe 10 to 15% of students engaging with what I was posting. So I personally was feeling a little discouraged and I, what I missed most about being in school was just sing, getting to sing and like have those musical experiences together. So that's kind of what inspired the YouTube channel. And so I, I committed to posting a song every day, which some days I was a little bit uh, regretting I made that commitment because it was a lot to think of the song and record the song and put it, you know, edit it and publish it. But I had a lot of students that would say they watch my videos every day or start their morning with whatever song was that day or you know I shared it out on Facebook and so a lot of my cousins with young kids or family friends that had young kids were following my channel too and they would share it with their friends and so when I was realizing that then just putting it out there and so for people to share and have an outlet and some well, really for my students, someone relatable that they knew I'm recording those videos. Cause of course I could have just sent, there's tons of YouTube videos out there and I could have just sent them videos, but um, I felt like it was more meaningful that it was me and they knew me. So that was a different level for me to engage with them. And actually, unfortunately, YouTube is not allowed anymore this year. YouTube has changed their rules so that children under the age of 13 cannot be sent just a YouTube link. They're not allowed because of how YouTube works in suggesting new videos. And they, I don't really understand why, because kids are going to do that anyway, and they get on YouTube all the time. So I'm not sure, but if for censorship and whatever purposes. So I haven't engaged as much with my YouTube channel because I'm now live teaching, but that's not something I'm going to dismiss because of how many people I had listening to it that weren't in my school community. But just giving them even, you know, 
I had a kindergarten parent reach out to me and say, I am having a really hard time keeping my daughter engaged because we're having a lot of technology issues. Like, do you have anything that you could send me for her to do while we're waiting for things to load or figuring out? And so I sent her my YouTube channel and she said they watched like almost all of my videos, just sing-alongs and, and, you know, doing cumulative finger, you know, motions. And she said her daughter has loved doing that in her free time. And so now I have this avenue has allowed it to be something that can be just simply for fun. And that is also part of, you know, my teaching philosophy. I want music to be a part of their life in general, not just something that they do when they come see me for a day at the week in school. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm going to share these videos out to all my grad uh, buds and we're going to we're going to do a little watching party, I think. Now I'm wondering, you mentioned you were live teaching. Are you live teaching over line or are you in person? We're online, but I use that because uh, we didn't have that before. So this is like a new thing that we're getting face-to-face -face instruction via Google Meet. I do see every class once a week for 40 minutes on the computer. No in-person yet. Are you teaching in your classroom space or at home? I am actually teaching in my classroom space. We are allowed to do that. And I actually have gotten a lot of good feedback from that because the students recognize the space and they know they've been there and they learned in there. So it's been fun because they're like, wait a minute, are you actually in the music room? Like, are, is anyone else in there with you? And it's always like, no, I wish you were, but we're here. And so that's actually been a cool access point for them to be able to be like, oh, I remember being in there. So I am doing most of my live teaching from my classroom. Well, it's good you have access to the materials and all, all that you have in there. Oh, words of wisdom for anyone entering the field. I would say a couple of my words of wisdom would be only do it if your heart is in it. I have met so many teachers that I really just, I'm confused why they're in the education field because it is so, it's so demanding and it's so also so rewarding, but it's only rewarding if you put into it what you need to put into it for it to be meaningful for you. So I guess my, my first point would be really only go for it if your whole heart is in it and then stick it out. Just keep trying and asking for help and keep trying to learn and to grow and to change because there will be moments when it all will pay off, whether they're really tragic moments or they're really beautiful moments. There will be moments that it will become worth it. Why you suck it out and tried for so long, even though it seems a little bit daunting and unending when you're first beginning and take care of yourself, whatever that means. But like, I have to say it, it's not, it's looked over a lot and it's vital. Well, thank you so much for coming on our little talk show. It's been great having you. I really enjoyed her speaking about her first year of teaching, especially as a junior going into student teaching next semester and especially the relevant conversation about adapting to COVID-19. And on that note, next up we have Abel and Bridget talking about adapting to COVID and extracurricular music. Hello everybody, my name's Bridget. Hello, my name's Abel. And we are the Senior Music Education students here at Gettysburg College. And today we're gonna do our hashtag, this is music ed segment of the podcast. Um, our topic for today is we're gonna be talking a little bit about extracurricular music going on on campus right now. Um, one thing I figured that we could talk about to kind of get us 
started with the conversation is, um, I don't know, Abel, if you've heard, but I don't even know if our listeners have heard about there is a Sunday music gala that has been organized by one of the first year students who has, he is a singing major, a, vo- a singing major, a vocal major here at the conservatory. <laughs> and you're a viola major. And I'm a viola major. <laughs> but so he is a vocalist here and he has organized this thing where he goes out. Uh, it originally started on the steps of our pub patio and he goes out and he sings and other people stop by and listen and then it's grown into having like a band play and I think there's somebody with a guitar and a voice and some other things so it's just kind of like a casual thing he sings there's like across multiple genres he sings like rock and pop and some classical stuff too so Abel have you heard of this thing have you seen it yes I have I think I walked by early on when it was just person who started it singing I was kind of like oh that's interesting I wasn't sure what was going on I was like oh he's he's wearing a tux and he's singing that's, yeah that's, that's fun um <laughs> and I've just heard it from like across campus in some of the later installations yeah it's definitely been um it like started off like much quieter not quieter um but it started off like much smaller and it was kind of just like this one first year and like his first year friends I guess he like sings all through his first year hall and stuff and his friends were like go give a concert and so then he like gave a concert and like then the next week he showed up dressed enough in like a suit and a performance thing and I thought it was super cool because I was like look at this like making performance opportunities when performance opportunities aren't as available as they once were because we don't have like now hear this right now right I was just thinking that yeah we they were kind of like, yeah, we might have these not hear this recitals, and and it and it hasn't happened so far. It seems like it might not happen. Yeah. So yeah, making performance opportunities when when they've been a little bit lacking this semester. Yeah, it's definitely been um kind of like I don't know for me it's been like pretty inspiring because I'm like oh this is really awesome to have like music happening in an extracurricular way, especially from I feel like a lot of times for here like in the conservatory us students as performers we like don't want to perform we don't want to show off I mean sometimes we do but like I feel like people get really uncomfortable around it because it's always like surrounded by a grade or a jury or a concert coming up or a scale test or something like that and we like sometimes forget that we just like to make music and do that kind of thing right like sometimes as a student when you're not like when you're not doing any gigs or anything just performing can feel very it can feel very few and far between, so it becomes like a huge deal, which it doesn't like. It doesn't have to feel like that. Yeah. You know, if you just perform more often, then it's not such a huge deal, and so then it's not quite as intimidating as it can be. Well, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we went home back in March for the first time, and I had to like practice in front of my parents for the first time since like high school. Work because like when I would practice like home over break or something like they'd like be at work and I just practice when they're gone because I don't want them to hear me. <laughs> and so, but then like I don't know, I started getting more used to it, and then I was like, all right, I'm comfortable with this. And now like going into my recital, having like being a little bit more comfortable with people hearing me play the viola, it's like just the more you do it, the better it feels. Right. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. Uh, me uh, when I'm when I'm home, I I have two younger brothers who one of them plays the cello. He's very good at it. He's like majoring in music. Oh, wow. Um, and the other plays 
I think I think piano is going to end up being his primary instrument, but but he he does he does a lot of things. So he also plays violin and he also plays euphonium. Dang. Yeah. Um, we have a whole orchestra with one sibling. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so so you know they're in the house when I'm playing, and they know things about music. Oh, and my mom also plays flute. Like oh, okay. like so yeah, my whole family just knows things about music. So. Like if I sound bad, they they will know. So I'm just kind of used to that, just being like, okay, whatever. I don't know this piece. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. But um, to kind of go back to like talking about extracurricular music that's going on right now, and talking about this music gala thing. Um, the first couple times it happened, like it was relatively low attendance, and it wasn't a big thing. Yeah. Um, but then like as popularity grew, like people were like, oh, this is like a music concert like people are had a whole summer of missing out on going to concerts and like sitting in the grass and listening to music like I know we have a um we have like a summer concert series like on the river or in the town that I live in it's like super nice it's like the thing we all look forward to since like February and it wasn't happening so I like I understand the want and need for like live music and those kinds of events and stuff but it definitely raised some questions and concerns um, across campus, I don't know if you heard any of the rumblings about it, but of like safety and social distancing and right. mask wearing and like being responsible with the events we choose to go to and that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like I said, I haven't I haven't actually gone, so I don't have any firsthand experience. But like, it's outside. That's a major plus. COVID is not quite as scary when you're outside to begin with, mm-hmm. um, and because, because, like I said, the, the one weekend I heard it across campus, like, people don't need to be all that close to it to hear it. So, yeah, you know, people just remember that, oh, wait, we need to stay farther apart. Um, it should be totally fine. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's hard to want to think about, like, oh, global pandemic, when you just want to be like, yay, music, fun. You know, like, that's not... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I remember... Like, we were, like, me and my friends were joking around um, this summer about, like, oh, we should just go down and, like, like I could, like, play guitar and she's a singer and we should just go and, like, karaoke and, like, make it happen. And then we're like, wait, we can't, like, ask people to be in a concentrated area close to each other and just kind of, but then I think what's great about what this first year has done is, like, now he's gotten um, some of our on-campus offices involved and, like, gotten amplification and there's like people there that are now there to like make sure that policies are being yeah. like followed. So they're doing it in a safe way, yeah. um, which I guess is just kind of like, we have those learning moments where we're like, hmm, maybe we should make sure everybody can hear you and then people don't have to sit so close and things like that to make it safer, which is good. Um, yeah. Have you done any extracurricular music through out the semester or throughout quarantine or was it all like euphonium for music all the time um no i don't i haven't really been in the mental space to be doing a lot of extra things i've been kind of doing what i need to do and that's about it yeah well to be perfectly honest well i mean that's fair especially considering that you and i both have recitals this fall yes which which thankfully i started preparing for well in advance yeah because I didn't because I know that during you know typical semesters that were very busy and I just knew based on 
my workload in previous semesters that I was thinking, oh, you know, at some point I'm going to be preparing a recital during all this work, and that's going to be a bit rough. So <laughs> thankfully, I had thought that through. I don't always think these things all the way through. This time I did. I was preparing for my recital well in advance, thinking about the music, practicing it over the summer. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's okay. that makes me feel better that I've been doing that at least. Yeah. And then talk about a situation where we need people to gather. Like our ensembles aren't doing in-person performances, but yeah. we get to have in-person recitals. Yeah. For a limited audience, for those of you that don't know, our policy is we get to have 25 people in our audience in the recital hall. Because that's how many it can fit. Socially distant. So that's good. And it's right. Nice I, need to, I need to start thinking about my guest list. Because <laughs> I, do, I do actually have friends. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Make a list, check it twice, right. see who makes the cut. Yeah. So have like field day games to see who gets to be in the audience. <laughs> Do like oh, a sponge boy. race to see what's up with that. But yeah, no, it's definitely, and it's definitely going to be like interesting. I think most of the large gatherings that I've seen going on have been outdoor large gatherings. Yeah. And so, and like, yeah, safe and policies followed and everything. So be interesting to see some recitals with people sitting inside six feet apart and I mean yeah I, yeah I mean a lot of my friends are within the same groups and are seeing each other anyway yeah. it's like you know other music people and people that I live with at my house so yeah I also think that like the um shoot I lost my train of thought it'll come back I promise It'll be there. Oh, the fact that our testing on campus, like, because we've, like, reduced density on campus, we're able to test everybody. Yeah. And then we're able to know that, like, like last time we all got tested, we came back with, like, one positive. So, yeah. like, we've done a good job, I think, of creating our little bubble of safety here. So it's just to make sure that we all keep that bubble so we can all hang out with each other. Yep. So that is something to consider as we move forward with some extracurricular music. I know I really loved... See, like throughout quarantine and stuff, seeing people who like learned to play the guitar or like started playing their old instrument again or like finally playing the piano or something. And I think that like that's been really fun. And I think there's been some like social media traffic that has aided in that. I know that like there'll be like different like TikTok challenges that are like learn to play this song on the guitar, learn to play this on the piano. I don't know if it's just like the weird music education teacher TikTok I know, <laughs> but that's what I see on my feed. <laughs> that, that's very on brand for you. I think so. I think so. <laughs> but it's been kind of cool to see the way that like people look towards music at this time to be something that's like something as like a hobby. And I guess, I don't know, kind of like affirms what we're doing here as like future music teachers and like inspiring those lifelong learners. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was I was thinking about something else oh, while you were talking and not fully listening, which is um some something that happens. you you all okay. shouldn't do. Don't be like me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, what you said about videos got me thinking about how I've seen a lot of professional musicians that all of a sudden have YouTube channels that yeah. are being updated very regularly, either just with them like performing things, um, or doing. Like, people that don't play your phoneme or tuba will not know who a Steen Bodsvik is, 
but he's started doing like YouTube videos with where he's playing like half of a duet he wrote or something, and then oh, you can play the other half along with me. That's so and, cool. And oh, I think Misa Meat's been doing stuff like that too. Um, yeah, the, the, not not just like videos, the professional musicians, not just videos of them performing stuff, but they've been doing a lot of doing more like kind of educational things, which yeah. has been interesting to see. It's definitely been interesting to see like the ways that like when you don't let musicians perform what they decide to do. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And I think it's cool that like now like everybody's more comfortable with like recording technology and video making and even the fact that we're doing this podcast now, like I don't yeah. know if this is something that's like gonna stick instead of doing the radio show now or who knows. But I think it's kinda cool the way that we're all adapting and changing in this era of COVID. Even though it's scary, yeah, it's all okay still sometimes. Yeah, it, at at this point, I feel like I'm slightly used to it. If mm-hmm. I think about it for too long, I'm like, oh, this is this is going to be in the um the history books, but it's yeah. just like, oh, it's oh, what day what day is it today? It's oh, it's another Tuesday. You just know, another Tuesday. <laughs> just another Tuesday in the second floor lobby of Schmucker. A yep. quiet place now, but yeah, that's it's all good. Yeah. No, there's definitely you can definitely go down like a rabbit hole of thinking of like, oh my gosh. This is all bad, but there are still some like very like interesting things that have kind of come about um, and different realizations that I think we're all kind of making it the longer we sit in the world that we're in now. Yeah, like like off like the, there were several um, like I think the is it the Berlin Philharmonic did did a concert a virtual concert over the summer that I watched and I just, I just feel like you know you run into some issues with like. If it's if it's a group where they're where you're usually buying tickets to go and see them and stuff like, the, you know the ensemble musicians have money to continue going on. But it would just be really cool going forward to continue have the option to either be somewhere in person for live music or if you can't be there for whatever reason to watch it virtually. It would just be really cool to continue to to see you know attending things virtually to be an option. Yeah. For absolutely. things that are too far away to travel to. For people who can't be somewhere, even if they would like to be, yeah. it would just be really cool to see that continue to be an option. I mean, talk about, like, global connections, you know what I mean? Right. Like, if you're, like, able to make all these things much more accessible to people that wouldn't be able to see it anyways, or right. wouldn't even know that it's something that, like, exists or is, like, could be a part of their, like, life or whatever. Right. Like, I like, remember there was one, somebody did, like, I don't know, they did some, like, I think it was like John Legend did a, like a living room concert. There was like a series of living room concerts of like these like famous pop stars too that they like aired on broadcast television. I feel like I'm in the 50s talking about broadcast television. <laughs> um, but like they aired it and like, I don't know, it's just kind of like cool to see such a value placed in like live music and yeah. talented performers and things like that. Yeah, but you know, people sometimes, sometimes classical musicians sit around and wonder like, why it's seen as such an elite thing. And mm. it's like, you know, when you have movies, you can, you know, you can watch it in your room mm-hmm. pretty easily, like wherever you want these things. Whereas, but you know, live classical music, it's it's kind of like you have to be there in person. And that's the only option. Right. And you that's, show up in your fancy car and your fancy clothes. Right. And... That's, that's not doable or accessible at all, really. Yeah. No, it'll definitely be interesting to see how this all changes the way that we go about what we do especially yeah. in the music setting especially in like the classical music setting if that's where we end up but very interesting 
But with that, I think we're going to conclude here on this week's rendition of hashtag this is music ed, what's going on at Gettysburg kind of thing here. It's been a pleasure. Yes, it has been a pleasure. And I hope you all enjoyed listening. And we'll see you next time. Or we'll talk to you next time. And you'll listen next time. <laughs> Speaking of extracurricular music, I have loved being able to play with my euphonium pals in our Holland Brass Tuba Euphonium Ensemble. Right now, it's just a euphonium quartet, but while the tubas were here, it was a great time. I can definitely say that playing music with you with Dr. McCutcheon in our wind symphony has been a lot of fun this semester, too. Speaking of Dr. McCutcheon, I believe Bridget and Abel are coming back to speak about our conducting instrumental and choral ensembles classes. Hello, I'm Abel. And I'm Bridget. And we are the senior music education majors. Um, and to start off with, we're going to talk about how in our teaching and conducting instrumental ensembles and choral ensembles classes, we've been talking about how to run a rehearsal which is interesting because that's obviously something that we need to know how to do. And it's also something that I super took for granted when I was the one just sitting in the ensemble while the rehearsal was being run. It's like, you know, the rehearsal just kind of happens. Like, you play the music and then the director's like, nope, that's not right, we're gonna do that instead. Or it should be more expressive or whatever. <laughs> like the rehearsal, you know, just kind of happens. But no, actually, you're the one running it. You have yeah like the idea like I, I think that at least in our especially because in our version of the curriculum like we've had SOFO and we've had elementary teaching children music our elementary methods class and we've had uh, music ed for social change our secondary methods class and it's all been very like general music focused with like structured lesson plans and learning goals and assessments and like move in a circle and sing and clap a song and like yeah obviously you still have learning goals and assessments and a rehearsal plan but it's definitely much different and it's kind of like relearning some of that stuff yeah that's true and it's also interesting because the the ensemble director thing is more what i was thinking that i want to do mm -hmm. i'm only just now getting around to it <laughs> um which is just interesting i guess yeah i think it's definitely like when you kind of think about all this i mean at least i've had this preconception where i'm like oh general music teachers they have so much more planning to do and like you walk into band and just like rehearse music and then you end the rehearsal and you're done. And I'm like, no, it's a, it's a lot more than that. So some interesting, some rehearsals I've been in where I've been the person playing where I've realized, you know, that, you know, that, that some, some interesting things happen. This one example that, that sticks out into my mind is my high school band director for a section of one of our rehearsals just just didn't just stopped talking like kind of like kind of unexpectedly I think maybe we weren't paying attention or something and he was just like all right and he just like stopped talking all of a sudden we were like hello what and he was like holding up his fingers for the measure numbers where we were starting and then just like conducting and we just started um, and this went on like like maybe ten minutes like not like not that long. But we were all definitely very focused because it was new and exciting. Yeah. So, That's crazy. Yeah. I can't, like, even, I mean, like, I think we talk about that as, like, a classroom management technique of, like, if you just drop your own topic, people pay attention more because, like, something's different and, like, their ear needs to readjust to it. But, like, to just not talk during a band rehearsal. 
That seems very intimidating, but clearly effective. Yeah, no, it, it worked, and I'm not sure he ever did it again because I don't remember it happening again, which is kind of funny. Because <laughs> probably he was, maybe he was just like fed up, I, yeah. and he was like, it's either I be silent or I scream. Yeah, no, he didn't seem fed up. Like, it seemed oh, like okay. He was it's a conscious decision. It or, like abused. I don't remember huh. the full context. Um, but that was a thing. Yeah, definitely. One thing we've been talking a lot about in our classes, in both the instrumental and the choral conducting classes that we've been in is the idea of a ma macro, micro, macro mm -hmm. rehearsal strategy. And I really loved using that one because it seems like this big foreign concept of like, oh, here's this fancy new rehearsal technique, figure out a way to make it work. But like, it's very, like it makes a lot of sense. And like when we practice ways, like when we're practicing our individual instruments, it's like, that's how you practice. Like that's how you should rehearse. The ensemble too. Right. So, so for maybe people listening who aren't sure exactly what that is, um, it's where you start with like a larger, a larger section of the piece, um, and then you like, and then you like zoom in on a specific section. And so that's the micro part. You're working on a smaller section, and and getting that down and focusing on it, and then you put it back in the broader context. Um, and that and that can also mean that you're alternating between the entire group playing uh, a section of the piece or and then focusing on just a section, like one instrument section and what they need to work on. So it's, it's a technique that it makes a lot of sense and that people, that band directors have probably used without realizing that it had a name because in a lot of ways it just kind of makes sense. Yeah. No, I, lo I love it. It's like when we're we like read our books and we read it. We have our class discussions of like, oh, this is the like varying rhythm thing. And you're like, oh yeah, like that makes a lot of sense. Just like that's what yeah, you like, like change the rhythm of a, of a bunch of 16th notes to like make it easier and like learn the fingerings and stuff. And so right. like, yeah, it's like there's all these fancy names. It's like, there's not fancy things. It's all very like practical stuff that you know how to do. Right, like things that my private instructor has been like, play it like this and see if that helps. And I do it, and it's like, oh yeah, you're right, that helps. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Actually doing something other than just playing the same thing over and over again and beating my head against a wall. Yeah, it's not productive, especially with a large ensemble. <laughs> it's like, all right, kids, and now we all bang our heads on the stand for two minutes to prepare to play this next part. Yeah. Um, I don't think that would work. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. the thing about the private lessons versus the whole ensemble is the private lesson is just like one person. Yeah. You only have to worry about them. And when it's an ensemble, like if, if you're rehearsing and and if you hear like 27 different problems, then it's kind of overwhelming. You have to like, you have to pick one. Yeah. You can't, you can't solve 27 things all at once. Well, I think, and that's the other thing too, that like what I loved about this like macro, micro, macro idea, but applied over the course of like, a semester of learning or like a concert cycle or whatever time you have to work on a certain like set of pieces and stuff is the fact that it's like at the beginning of that cycle you're doing a lot of macro stuff you're getting like are we all playing at the same time are we all playing in the right key are we all playing the same piece like can we get from the start to the end with relatively low like low catastrophe and then you start to zoom in in the middle of the semester with like the micro and zooming in and looking at okay, let's fix like that part with intonation. Let's fix that part with the tone. And let's fix those articulations and that kind of thing. And then by the end of the concert cycle, you're zooming back out and be like, all right, let's look at like the larger phrases and the 
style and some of those like bigger components that maybe wait till the end. So I think like that's what I really liked as far as like thinking about the macro, micro, macro in like a broader sense too. Right. It's you not just like a rehearsal strategy. Right, yeah. So you can have the broader one and then within the rehearsals you can have macro, micro, macros within your micro, macro, micro. And you can even have them even still, right? So right. you're rehearsing and then you're like, all right, clarinets. And then maybe it's like only second clarinet in like one beat and you need to practice that super specific skill. <laughs> I don't know why I'm picking on the clarinets, but maybe, <laughs> maybe it happened. Yeah. So, yeah, no, micro, macro, micro, macro. Very helpful technique. Yeah. And um, what you said about zooming into, like, one specific part just, just made me think about how when we're, when we're practicing this rehearsal stuff and these techniques in our class where, like, there's only, like, two people on a part and we all have different instruments and we all know each other, that it's very easy to be, like, Hey Bridget, you're doing this wrong. It's like this, and then once you get out with a bunch of like middle schoolers or even high schoolers or you know like any students that are actually younger than you, you can't be like, hey, insert name here. You're doing this wrong. So a part of me is worried that I'm gonna get out there and and just mess that up. So so that makes me want to while we're here that even the, to just like okay so the viola section even if it's literally just you just to practice that idea of not calling people out yeah and I think it's also something like I've had ensembles where I've had like the conductor be like Daniel you're being bad at the violin stop <laughs> and like be very direct and upfront with people and people are like uh but then also they like learn their part for the next rehearsal like that right so like it's just that accountability. But yeah, like how you go about that. And like, because I personally would be very uncomfortable either on the giving end or the receiving end of that interaction. Yes. But I think that like that hyper individualized like feedback, as long as it's like a regular thing and it's done so with like compassion, I think that it would end up being, it can be productive, but it can also be very like make people quit band. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like that balance, I think, is. Yeah. I, I would just be terrified of ruining some kids' day. Yeah, right? But I guess that's kind of the challenge that we have to face, right? Of, like, we're trying to teach them music, we're trying to make them better instrumentalists, but also, like, they're people, and we're people, and we're trying to, like, help them be people through the music they're playing. And Yeah. Right. So, if you don't have anything else to say about that, something that's been stressed a lot in our instrumental class in particular is the importance of sight reading, which mm -hmm. is something that, in my um, high school band and orchestra because I was in both. I don't, I don't remember doing it at all, really? with the exception of when we were literally like, oh, here's a new piece we're going to be performing, and then obviously the first time we play it is sight reading. Hmm. I don't. I could just be forgetting because that's a thing that I do, but I don't <laughs> ever remember practicing sight reading. Yeah, I don't remember practicing sight reading either. We did. Like, we'd read, we had, like, a book of chorales, and we'd, like, read different ones different days. But, like, by the middle of the year, you, like, know most of them. Um, and then we did, we would do, we started doing, I think it was, like, my sophomore year of high school with my band. We never sight read in choir, aside from, like, introducing a new piece. Um, but in my band, we would always, like, our director would pass out a new piece at our dress rehearsal, and we'd like read it once at the dress rehearsal and then perform it at the concert. And it would be like something we'd be like reading next, like for the next concert. So it's like kind of sight reading, but we still had to like perform 
basic sight, like essentially sight reading, but I think that it's definitely a skill that like I've found a lot more value in since coming to college, and I wish I did more in my public school education for sure. Yeah, I feel like I have ended up decent at sight reading. Maybe it's just something that kind of like you really run into people, but I've, I've done it in private lessons. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, a lot of people don't have access to private lessons, so that's where I got a lot of my sight reading practice, and mm-hmm. I do find it to be really helpful to not have to you know, to be given a piece of music and to not have have this like huge hump to get over initially and just yeah. figuring out what's going on with the music. Well, yeah, and I feel like it's something, I think a lot of the times why we don't find time for it or why current teachers don't find time for it. We are not current teachers yet. Um, is that like, there's so much of a focus on like teaching the music for the concert and getting there right. that like taking time away from that feels like not good. But, as Dr. McCutcheon so widely said, if you spend more time sight reading, then they're going to get better at reading music, and then you're going to spend less time rehearsing the music because you're not teaching them to read music every time you give them a new piece. Right. So it's like, there's like those kinds of handoffs, and I think that like, us coming from our college experience where like the ensemble is exclusively about the ensemble, is like going to be kind of a learning curve when we go into the real classrooms and have to like... The ensemble is also like music theory and music history and sight reading and oral skills and all the and scales and all the things that we have to teach them. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, sight reading is definitely a very important skill, I think. It's just about finding all the materials for it and finding the resources for it. It's kind of a challenge that I've been thinking about and hope we talk about soon, but we haven't yet. <laughs> Right, you mean just the logistics of passing out yeah. the music and getting everything ready? Like, aren't they might actually going to have the time for that? <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer is a definitive no, we'll never have the time. Right, but so you just make the time. Precisely. For it. We have to make the time. That's what I've, that's what I've heard. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we're already doing it, making the time for things. Yeah. So I'm totally fine. Yeah. Well, I know there's like different, we've talked about. At some point, I think we were talking about it in instrumental conducting of like different getting different like collections of like corrals or different like sight reading like they have method books and stuff that you can use that have like the same thing for working on ensemble playing but also sight reading at the same time. Um, right. Yeah. Like it'll be easier when we have you know like hope we're probably going to be walking into schools that already have a music library so it's not like you're starting from nothing. Right. And also just pulling things from the library. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, there'll be an option for that as well. And then you just need to find a student intern to refile all that music for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised I never did that in high school. Did you guys you know, have you know, one? I did it, see, I joined band late, and uh, the band, like, music, oh, 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 they called them Band-Aids. Band-Aids? <laughs> yes. That's yep. amazing. Yep. Everybody thought that was hilarious. I love that. Um, and I was not part of that. The orchestra didn't do anything like that, mm-hmm. but I ended up doing stuff like that anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I was I was friends with the orchestra director's daughter. So okay. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was happy to help. I wanted to, but it was just much more informal. Yeah. So well, I, I think that ends up happening anyways. So you just gotta encourage kids to like you and want to help you with your job. <laughs> right, right. I guess that's... And it's probably better if that's a bit more formalized, like if a student is doing that work anyway. Yeah, we had like an internship program where like high schoolers could intern 
at different jobs throughout like the school program. So they could go to like the elementary school or help mm-hmm. out with the middle school. So we already always had like music aids in the middle school and then one in the high school too. That was good. Okay. Yeah. So just that's another thing we have to talk about in this class, I guess. <laughs> There's so many things. Yeah. And and some of these things you know, you can start with the precedent that's already been set at the school, set at the school, and then you just yeah. have to decide, do I like this or not? Because you know, there will be precedents of things in a way that things have already been done. Yeah, I think like looking on our original syllabus for both of our instrumental and choral conducting classes, it's like there's moments where you talk about like how to enter a new place when you are the new teacher, and so I'm definitely looking forward to those conversations that we have. Yeah, and I'm sure that'll also be kind of talked about. In our student teaching seminar. Oh, probably. Yeah. Probably. You Very know, exciting. may just be each of us on our own. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how our schedules and future plans yeah. work out. <laughs> well, on that note, I guess we'll sign off and head to the next portion of the pod. Thanks for listening. This talk show has been brought to you by our interviewer, Logan Shippey, our guest star, alumni Kelly Raymond, and our music education students, Abel Rose and Bridget Haynes. The audio has been edited by Sam Burr, Summer Burton, and Owen McGowan. Our quality controllers are Amanda Harold and Zane Kazmarski. A big thanks goes out to our coordinators, Dr. Talbot and Dr. Russell McCutcheon.